And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Law. Welcome to episode 35 of the Keith Law Show. My guest today will be Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle, a longtime friend of mine, somebody whose work I respect very much. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the A's and about the postseason, where we are actually heading into the World Series. Raise your hand if you, like me, did not think we would get to this point where we would get a full, full, air quotes, full, but still full 60-game season in, plus playoffs without really major incident. In fact, even with the bubble, even with fans in the stands, which I will say, still not a huge fan of, um, no pun intended, but I, from a public safety perspective, I don't think that's great. But so far, so good. So far, we have not had any major incidents. I am very pleased to see that. Uh, some administrative stuff first. If you, uh, if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, I did have one post, uh, shared post that went up last week with our Rockies writer, Nick Groke. You can, uh, if you search for, obviously, my name or search for his, G-R-O-K-E, he covers the Rockies for us and asked me a bunch of questions about the state of their farm system. I answered those as best I could. Obviously, we haven't seen these guys play, but tried to give some kind of update of, of where they are and talk a little bit about their development philosophy. And obviously, it's always a challenge for the Rockies to find enough pitching and whether they uh, whether that approach is, is really even working for them. The big thing I'm working on now going forward is my ranking of the top 40 free agents for this offseason. I've written more than half of it, so that's a good thing. And it will be up, I believe, one or two days, probably two days after the end of the World Series. That's sort of an editorial decision, but they'll have all the content from me. So you will have that uh, to look forward to. Obviously, it takes me a lot of time, um, but hopefully everyone thinks that it's worth it. I will actually be Offline, when that posts, I'm going to take a few days off to try to do some volunteer work for various candidates uh, across the country uh, who are running for office from the state level on up. If you're not a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. We are running a $1 a month promotional offer uh, that uh, if you're not a subscriber, would let you get a glimpse of what our content is like. So uh, feel free to check that out. If you are not a subscriber to this podcast, but someone has maybe been kind enough to pass it along, you can subscribe on iTunes, on Amazon Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher. If you subscribe on iTunes and you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, feel free to leave us a rating. I always appreciate it. I know many, many of you have left five-star ratings. Some of you have also left reviews there, and uh, I really do appreciate it. It obviously helps spread the word about the show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by the great Susan Slusser, who has been the A's beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle for more than 20 years. She's formerly the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and she's author or co-author of two books, 100 Things A's Fans Should Do Before They Die. I think I have the title of that right. And If These Walls Could Talk, co-authored with Ken Korach. So Susan, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Always to talk to you, Keith. So let's start with kind of the big news out of Oakland, which is that Billy Bean, who has been synonymous with that franchise for basically as long as you've been covering them, is probably going to be leaving the club and maybe leaving baseball executive ship entirely. So why don't you give us maybe a quick, for listeners who don't know this, what what is going on and what are your thoughts on this, and especially in terms of how it affects the A's franchise going forward if Bean isn't there anymore? Well, I'm glad you said probably because it's not for sure. I think it's likely. Billy Bean is part of a sports investment group called Red Ball that also includes uh, former A's owner Lou Wolf. Uh, and what they are basically formed to do is to buy sports teams and turn them public. Now, uh, initially, my understanding was they were going to focus mostly on Europe soccer teams, you know, maybe rugby, uh, you know, uh, other potential opportunities in Europe and, and other places around the globe. This opportunity they have now with John Henry's Fenway Sports Group changes that dynamic hugely. Um, my understanding is that Major League Baseball has some pretty strong rules in place that prevent public ownership of teams beyond just the sort of ceremonial public ownership that you get, say, with like the Packers. Uh, I do know it's something they have tried some in the Premier League uh, with varied success. Um, there, there are certainly issues when you have shareholders involved with a team. So that's a, that's a whole level of complication. For this deal, which is, I think has been estimated at about $8 billion to go through, potentially $8 billion, to go through, um, MLB obviously would have to change some rules. I was told that the Red Ball group is hopeful that it will go in, will uh, happen before the end of the year. If that does happen, especially with the involvement with another team, Billy Bean essentially would step away from the A's. Now, I I think he has been, yeah, he's certainly flirted with a lot of uh, other interests over the years. He does have uh, portions of two European football teams right now. um, And that has uh, certainly been something he's enjoyed. And, uh, I think he has been a little frustrated with some of the things that you deal with in a, a I don't want to say small market because the Bay Area is not a small market, with a low payroll situation. Uh, and this year with, you know, the shutdown and the pandemic and then a lot of furloughs, I think it was really difficult on the front office. I know Billy and David Force, the ace general manager, really argued strongly against letting go some of the very long-time employees in scouting, player development, things like that. I, I think that was tough. Every owner and every front office, they disagree about things at times. That's not unusual, but uh, I do think they felt that very deeply when it came to some of the 
really, you know, the people that have dedicated their lives to the A's. I don't know how much of a, you know, that might play into any desire to potentially leave. We know Billy loves Oakland. He's very dedicated to the A's. Obviously, he's been there 30 some years. He got the job offer with Boston once a long time ago and turned it down after uh, initially kind of verbally accepting it. So he flirted with John Henry in the past. I have been assured this would not lead to him having any sort of uh, influence on the Red Sox. He would not be, certainly would not be taken over the front office. He wouldn't be running. I'm assuming he could be a resource for them. But this is more about the, uh, you know, the investment opportunity, really. So it's interesting. Uh, It's actually really fascinating. It could change the nature of pro franchises in the U.S. if, if it worked, you know, and you're talking about the Fenway Sports Group. Not only do they own the Red Sox, they own Liverpool. So that's that's uh, staggering when you think about it. Yeah, that's uh, there's so much to dissect in this. Um, you know, my tell me if you think I'm wrong. My sense has always been Major League Baseball doesn't want public ownership of any other teams because they'd have to reveal to everyone how much money they make. <laughs> I mean, could be the cynic in me, but I just feel like Major League Baseball would really rather not let. People know that, particularly, it you know obviously comes up in negotiations with the labor union and with the players' union. I guess also with the umpires' union too. But also, like, how are they going to run their stadium con if governments suddenly realize, wait a minute, you're making money hand over fist, and you're asking for how much from us? Which I think would particularly tie into the A's because their stadium situation that's been going on for. I don't know, 15, 20 years at least. I kind of lose track of where the Raiders are. I think they're in Vegas now. But I feel like the Raiders, they yeah, they were there at some point, right? And busy, came in, screwed up the stadium, and then left. And the A's were sort of <laughs> exactly. left with like half a stadium afterwards. That is an excellent summation, Thank Keith. You. That's exactly what happened. Thank you. I, I, I sort of know what football is. I My partner is a big Eagles yeah. fan. So I'm like, I'm like learning. But yeah, well, especially the Eagles are terrible. So we really don't care this year, as it turns out. <laughs> yes, I think Carson went through two interceptions since we started this podcast. Um, but I feel like they, that alone i mean it sounds to me like the kind of challenge that billy bean would love too that I, i've known him for a very long time. He's one of the first people in baseball i ever knew at all before i'd even joined the blue jays in the first place and that idea of creating a new paradigm whether it's on the business side or the operations side strikes me as something that would really appeal to him because he's just generally an intellectually curious person. And even talking to him recently, the only thing that I thought really animated him on the baseball side was the draft. He still likes the draft, still really loves talking about the draft. Um, And that, you know, that's the one place where I think there's still a lot of inefficiency and still a lot of the things they like to do worked well. But Maybe he felt like the challenges weren't quite there in baseball, but the stuff you're describing are huge challenges that are far beyond the world of baseball. And I'm wondering if maybe that's what would appeal to him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, so my understanding, I am not I am not a business writer. Uh, my knowledge of these kind of transactions is slim to none. But my understanding from the few people that I have talked to uh, that that know what's sort of going on with Redball is that the attempts to take some teams public in Europe, um, there has been an, a, a struggle because you're, you've got shareholders on the one hand who are expecting a return, obviously, and you've got fans on the other who want you to spend big and win. And sometimes those things don't, do not compute. You know, They just don't uh, wind up being on the same page. And I think that could be a problem. I think you're 100% on the money about baseball never <laughs> wanting to open its books. Uh, it's one of the reasons they've started, you know, all their protections uh, in Congress. 
so so much. You you hear whispers about you know how many different sets of books do they actually have? One for their own accountants, <laughs> one for taxes, one to show the public. Uh, and and who knows? But yeah, I, they certainly have never rushed to make a lot of things like that. So uh, I don't. You know, Rob Manfred has certainly listened to owners. He's there at the behest of owners to do their bidding. If this is something owners want, uh, and certainly John Henry carries an awful lot of weight, uh, I, I would not stun me if it happens, and it will be a really interesting experience, but, uh, experiment if it does. You know, while we're sort of on that subject a little bit too, what, where do you think the A's are playing physically and say, you pick your time frame, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. I mean, obviously they're not staying in this facility forever, but it does seem like it's kind of been, they've been kicking the can down the road for a while now, trying to get a deal. My sense is they really would love to get a deal that actually does keep them in Oakland. That may not be possible. There are political pressures, there are financial pressures. I know you've written about this from time to time, every time it sort of bubbles back up. What's your sense of you know, when and where they might end up like I said, pick your time horizon. How many years from now? Well, just from a sheerly practical level, I mean, I tend to run a little bit optimistic anyway. And of course, as somebody who's from Northern California and uh, has been in the Bay Area most of my life, um, I, I certainly hope they stay here. And I, you know, my job's tied to it, among <laughs> other things. From a practical level, this is n- this is an area that can support two teams, uh, and I think there is enough money in the area. Uh, enough potential if, say, John Fisher just wanted to up and sell. He could find, I think, potential buyers here who would keep the team here. The interesting thing, you know, I don't know how closely anybody's following it, but the A's have two possible locations. Their preferred location is a waterfront ballpark that would be very costly and has an awful lot of obstacles to jump through. They continue to say that that is their focus. Uh, And they actually have met some benchmarks along the way. Everything's been slowed by the pandemic, as everything is anywhere, any kind of development has been slowed. Um, and some approvals and the environmental impact report, things that we expected quite a while ago are still not out. But they also are, uh, at the same time, purchasing the Coliseum site. They say they want to develop that site to fund their ballpark. Uh, and, you know, they're getting a break on doing it. Essentially, what they would be doing is paying off all the debt that, as you mentioned, the stadium was ruined for the Raiders. There's still massive debt uh, associated with that. Essentially, they'd be paying that off and, and getting the land. So if you look at it from an extremely practical standpoint, if this waterfront ballpark just proves to be too much with infrastructure changes and extra costs and a much longer time frame, you could put a ballpark right there and it would, you know, certainly that's what people are used to. It has transportation, it has infrastructure. Uh, and you already own the land. So I think more likely than not, they wind up staying. The easiest, cheapest, quickest option is the Coliseum. Who knows? Dave Cavill, the team president, is extraordinarily enthusiastic. He seems able to really motivate people. He loves the wall, the waterfront ballpark idea. You know, you, all you have to do is look right across the bay and see how well uh, waterfront ballpark did in an area of San Francisco that was nothing, an area nobody went. It's transformed that whole area. And that's what the A's would like to do, I think. And I, I think re- like really genuinely, it's not just a cynical, we could make a ton of money right here. I think they really look at that and say, this whole neighborhood is now uh, a destination area and has blossomed residential and commercial and all sorts of things. 
So if that could work, great. I'm all for that. Whatever works, I, I think everybody would love to see a new ballpark. They need one, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, yes, they need a new everything, every part of it, including the clubhouses. <laughs> um, they could they could use a whole reset. Uh, moving to the A's on the field. So I've been working on my own ranking of the top free agents for this offseason. There's a couple of A's players on it. I think Marcus Semyon will be the highest in my rankings. We can talk about him in a sec if you'd like. But I was most interested in Liam Hendricks because I will confess, I did not realize just how good Liam Hendricks had been the last year and a half. Uh, probably because I'm biased by, I saw him Way back when, as a prospect, he was in the Futures game because he's Australian, Major League Baseball. He was sort of like, oh, here's the token best Australian prospect in the minors. He wasn't really he was throwing, you know, 90, 91. He threw a lot of strikes. Said, eh, maybe he's a fifth starter or something. That's not what Liam Hendricks is anymore. Turns out he's a whole lot different and a whole lot better than that. And, you know, I was curious your thoughts on kind of his evolution to this elite reliever. You know, you could put proven closer on him if you like. And, I'm assuming the A's aren't really going to be in the market for him because he'll be expensive, but what you think he might be getting, what the market might be for him, or, or where you just see him going forward now that he's kind of established this new, entirely unexpected, for me at least, level of production. He is fascinating, Keith. He's absolutely, uh, you know, he's self-made. He completely transformed himself. I and mean, people, I think, forget that just three years ago, the A's DFA'd him. I did. I forgot that. He went He went down. He, he cleared away for and uh gosh was it yeah it was two it was 2018 cleared waivers um and went down with kind of a bad attitude he would tell you that he was he was upset had not been working all that hard he changed everything he changed his diet he changed his workout uh he really started trying to figure out what would work best for him as a pitcher and how to be most efficient and and successful and it worked. He came back. Obviously, that year was very strange. He winds up being the opener uh, after he came back, and mm. including even in the, the wild card game that year. And then the next year, when Blake Trinan out of nowhere suddenly stumbles after himself having, you know, abs probably the best season I've ever seen by a reliever. This is how far <laughs> these relievers are to project. <laughs> you know, he takes over in June and even just taking over in mid-June, his numbers were so great. You could argue that last year, Liam Hendricks was the best reliever in the American League. His numbers were off the charts. Uh, and just continued that this year. It's it's uh, phenomenal. And it's a credit to his hard work and his willingness to change, uh, which uh, I love. And he's a, he's a terrific guy. You know, big personality, just speaks his mind, friendly, wonderful wife. Just, uh, I, I will miss them, but I will say, Billy Bean has always made it very clear he will not pay a lot for a closer. Uh, I, I think the A's front office has moved on from the idea that we always kind of used to cite that anyone can be a closer because they've had a few that they that have proved that really <laughs> wrong. And they've always been very good at, at adjusting pretty quickly. And somebody eventually does, so maybe that's what they mean. But uh, I cannot imagine him coming back unless this market is so depressed that maybe comes back on some sort of one-year deal. I know he has loved his time in Oakland and uh, he and Christy would love to come back. I don't see it happening. I think somebody's going to shell out. There are a few guys on this, on this, you know, in this market that I think are going to be big ticket items for some very rich teams. Uh, and he's one of them. So I could certainly see him going to like a Boston or a Philadelphia or something like that. And a couple of people have floated San Francisco. So he could stay in the Bay Area. Um, and I could see all of those things. I don't know the numbers because honestly, this off-season market is uh, impossible to tell without uh, 
you know, butts in the seats all year and maybe not even, you know, knowing what sort of income you'll be getting from tickets next year. Yeah, I've run into that problem where I would typically say, well, I would pay this player X dollars over X years. And this year I'm just sticking to years and saying, you know, what I think, I think the player will be, you know, he's in average major league star, league average star or something like that, because I don't know either. We know what the qualifying offer is, but this doesn't mean anything. Right. And I wonder, like, maybe Hendricks does fine because he's the best relief pitcher on the market. And you have a team like Philadelphia, where they basically missed the playoffs because of the bullpen, they could be entirely motivated to say, here, here is just a big pile of cash. You're the best reliever on the market. Boom, here you go. Whereas somebody like Marcus Semyon, on the other hand, coming off a year that wasn't his best, obviously, he is on the wrong side of 30, not by a lot, but obviously teams are very, very age conscious at this point. And there were actually a lot of shortstops available in free agency this year, which is the opposite of a year ago. So you saw him a lot more than I did. I saw him just bits and pieces a little bit in their brief playoff run, and that was kind of it. Do you think he's a markedly different player now than he was even, say, a a year ago when he had the benefit of the a regular full season in 2019? Well, I think that's a difference. I think it's almost impossible to really evaluate somebody on a 60-game season, especially given, you know, all, all of the extra things that came with this pandemic season. He dealt with a little bit of a rib cage injury too, which I, I think he probably was playing with a little bit longer than maybe we suspect. It would it would make sense, particularly from an offensive standpoint. It was something that that did kind of give him some discomfort when swinging the bat. Uh, I I could he's a guy I could see coming back on a one year deal just to sort of reestablish his value. Uh, he's local, you know, he's uh, from from the East Bay. He went to Cal. He's loved his time in Oakland. He is absolutely beloved. He's a real team leader. Uh, I would say I could see the A's doing something and maybe shelling out a little bit more than they might for, say, your average free agent because of those other things and knowing his character. He's another one who is self-made just completely. I know almost everybody knows the story now, but Ron Washington was hired to come in in midseason in May and uh, revamp his defensive game. And without any ego at all, he started from absolutely rock bottom and worked his way into a gold glove finalist each of the last two years. So uh, it's really, it's extraordinary, selfless team player, wonderful person. So uh, I could see the A's maybe, I don't know if it's qualifying offer because a qualifying offer after a season like this with, again, no, uh, no real revenue is going to be, that's going to be a lot for a team like the A's. But if they could come to something, some sort of agreement on a one-year deal that's, you know, a, a somewhat less than that, I could see it. I don't see anybody shilling out big. You know, people were throwing out sort of $100 million range uh, estimates last year after he finished third in the MVP race. I just don't see that there would be anything even close to that. So I'm assuming we're recording this on Monday afternoon, and I am assuming you were up. I was going to say you were up late. You're on the West Coast. It was late for us, at least here, but I'm assuming you stayed up and watched what turned out to be a really great Game 7 in the National League Championship Series. So before we move on and talk a little bit forward about the World Series, how about your thoughts on – you could actually talk about either series. The NLCS just fresh her in my mind right now, and – what I actually thought was a pretty good old-fashioned baseball game last night. It had a lot of the other – it wasn't just strikeouts and home runs. There was plenty of that. But a lot of the other things that I really love about baseball, balls in play and base running and great fielding and even a base running blunder or two that 
I thought made it like an aesthetically pleasing baseball game in addition to just a really taut one. Yeah, it was a fantastic game. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I don't see much of the National League typically. I, you know, obviously the A's play the except for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the A's play the bulk of their games against uh, the American League, so I, I kind of just see the A's interleague games and not a lot else. Obviously, I, you know, I, I watch highlights, etc. But it's really been fun for me. I think sometimes uh, in the postseason, once the A's are out, to watch the National League series, and this was such a good one. Uh, I've got a huge number of uh, friends who are Dodgers fans uh, who are wrapped up in it. And uh, so kind of watching some of those reactions, but you're right. A couple of huge home runs, but the base running, especially, you know, some of the base running mistakes uh, brought home. I I think I can't remember who it was who was discussing how you really have to be flawless this time of year. And that uh, was in sharp contrast last night uh loved it and i'm I'm just i'm really impressed with both teams i never get to see the braves and i was very very impressed with them and and i loved it looking forward to the world series an awful lot yeah i will say just sort of a quick you know sort of like eulogy for the braves yeah they're really great like that's a really great team and they're going to be really great again next year and i still think i think i was glad because for so long i hear a lot from atlanta fans because they've been high in my farm system rankings forever lots of guys are my prospect rankings and their fans have said okay where's all this pitching where's all this pitching well two of those guys really broke through max Fried was good last year he was elite this year and ian anderson who i always liked as a prospect but if you go to everything i ever wrote about that kid i clearly underrated his changeup everywhere yeah. forever since he was 17 years old that pitch I feel like it's like an old scouting saw and I'm probably not even necessarily doing it justice, but it's essentially the hitters will tell you if that pitch is any good. And I feel like the major league hitters we saw Anderson facing back into the regular season, especially in the postseason, they all say his changeup's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's move forward and talk about the World Series, which I think is particularly good because – you make a pretty good argument. You have the best team in each league, team with each team with the best record in each league, which isn't necessarily the same thing. But I think this year it is. I do think we have the two best teams, um, and I'm particularly interested to see how this Rays offense, which is their one kind of big weakness, amazing bullpen, great defense, great managing, the offense is not strong. How does that fare against a Dodgers pitching staff that, when fully healthy, when everybody's right and healthy and rested? is incredibly effective, but they're kind of not quite like that at this point. And that just struck me off the cuff as maybe one of the more interesting matchups of this series, side versus side. That's a, a really good point. Um, I, I do follow the race pretty closely because they are, you know, obviously so similar to the A's in so many ways, payroll and fees. They they tend to make lots of deals with each other. Uh, there's mm-hmm. former A's, uh, obviously with the race. So I there's such a fun fun team and they seem to just kind of do enough this year to get by and uh that will be enough because <laughs> you do you're exactly right you look at that at that lineup and it's not yeah the dodgers lineup wow you know you could pick up four or five you know stars to superstars pretty quickly not so much with the race um but they do play you know the defense you know the clinic they put on during the ALCS was just extraordinary. And I, I saw some people, it was even you, it was someone, you or someone like you, Keith, said, I really hope that this playoff series doesn't bring us back to the days of pitching and defense is what it takes to win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, in some respects, maybe we're about to find out. Now, the Dodgers do have extraordinary pitching and they've got great defense too. So uh, I, I think, you know, it, 
we're never going to get any full answers on that age-old conundrum, but uh, I, I think we might uh, get at least a, a good conversation going with this with this series. I can't wait. I, I think it could go seven. I hope it goes seven. I hope they just keep playing because uh, I, I, I really like both these teams an awful lot, but I would pay to watch that Rays defense any day of the week. I've seen the complaint that the Rays are – there's – there are multiple comments sort of going around on the Rays, particularly that they don't spend money. I don't want to get into that particular rabbit hole, but one criticism I've seen of the Rays is sort of they're kind of anonymous, that it's maybe not the best thing for baseball. And I've talked about that when when having certain teams advance in the playoffs is better or worse for baseball. I, I think this Rays team probably shouldn't be anonymous. They're anonymous because they play in Tampa, not because lack great players there are plenty of really great or interesting players Absolutely. on this team i would like a rosarena okay i admit i never had him as like a top 100 prospect and maybe he's not actually babe ruth but what he's done the last few weeks automatically makes him interesting to me and i like the idea of having those guys on the the national stage the only game everyone's going to be watching push guys like him out there get blake snell out there any of those players who are maybe less famous than your Corey Seekers or your Mookie Bats, that's great. I want these guys on that national stage. And I think to your point too, the, the fact that they're likely to give us a lot of highlight plays, for example, or in Rosarena's case, he's so far at least had a lot of really big, very impressive home runs. That's what I as a fan at least am looking for in a postseason series. And it sounds like you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what? I, there's... Yes, they play in Tampa or St. Pete before I start getting nasty tweets and emails. Oh, um, yeah. Florida, somewhere in Florida. And, and yeah, maybe they're a little But If you've been paying attention to baseball for the last few years, you know this is a good team, a scrappy team that always makes them the most with the least, kind of like the AAs are known to do. Uh, and anybody that appreciates that, you know, smart moves, uh, you know, high risk, big reward, potential kind of moves. That's that's what they've been doing, and and I like it, and I I love the fact that some of these guys are coming a little bit. I didn't know that much about a Rosarena. I mean, he's really just come on. I mean, I'm just kind of looking now. He only played in 23 games this year. You know, his, his numbers are nice, but not you know eye popping or anything. And just to come through in a in a postseason like this, but that's what it takes. When you go back through the postseasons of yesteryear, a lot of times it's the Guys who shine are not necessarily the ones you would expect. Sure, you get your your Reggie Jacksons, but uh, you know you you get an awful lot of kind of guys who just manage to have the best two or three weeks of their entire life, and they left their team. I think Rosarena is going to be a great player. Certainly, I think he's, he's shown that. But uh, nobody'd heard of him before this, and and I'm so pleased that everyone has now. But that's a fun bunch. G-Man Choi might might be my my favorite player going right now. I just love watching him. Yeah, he's uh, – I love the fact that they're so diverse, like that Rays team, because they're just sort of like, can you play? Can you do something to help us? Fine. We don't care how we get you, where you're from, whatever. So you look at that bench, and I feel like culture – I've written – I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say written. I have read quite a bit about sort of diversity, benefits of diversity in the workplace. I've had some guests on my podcast from the academic world to talk about this stuff. And then I look at the race. I'm like, I understand that's not the reason for your success, but the fact that you have players from so many different backgrounds, so many different places, incredibly fun to watch. Totally. The Mike Brousseau story. That's phenomenal. Yes. I mean, I just, you just can go down the list and look at these guys. Um, 
And you mentioned, you know, people don't know who some of these guys are. Charlie Morton at this point really should be a known yeah. name because the guy does nothing but come through in big moments. Yep. He's, uh, he's been, what a bargain that's been for them. Oh boy. That is well-spent money. And not everyone can say that. Nope. <laughs> My guest today has been Susan Slusser. She has covered the A's as beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle since 1999. She, you can find her on Twitter at Susan Slusser. That's S-L-U-S-S-E-R. And she is also the author of the book, 100 Things A's Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. I got it right this time. Susan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Keith. A pleasure as always. That's all for the show this week. As I said, keep an eye out for the Top 40 Free Agents package. It is possible it will run before next Monday, but I'm actually hoping it doesn't. I'm hoping we get a great seven-game series. Seven-game series are they're good for baseball, which, of course, is good for those of us who work in or around baseball. They're just a lot more fun. I will say, uh, watching the last watching Game 7s with my partner these last two nights, we were just very engaged with the games as games as opposed to often where I'm uh, – I still like the games, but I'm watching – because it's work and because I'm watching for certain things to just actually sit back and watch a great game last night. That was fun. That sort of reminds me of why I'm a baseball fan in the first place, why I have loved this sport above all other sports since, according to my mom, since I was old enough to sit up on the couch with her and watch the 1977 World Series. Thanks so much for listening. Wear your masks, everyone. Please stay safe. <laughs>